Let us pray and ask the Lord to bless the preaching of His Word today. All glory be to You, O God, our Father, who in Your infinite grace and mercy has given us Your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank You that as He became flesh for us, that out of His life, death, and resurrection, our salvation is born. Grant, O Lord, by the joy of this blessed upcoming season of Easter, that we may be with us today by day, all the days of our life, that we may know that in Christ we are more than conquerors, that we have been called to victory, that we are heirs of all creation, that your love has been confirmed unto us in the person of Christ our Lord. Grant us understanding of your word, that we may live according to all of it. For Jesus' sake we ask these things. Amen. Amen. So, in an effort here today, I want us to consider the fact that this is Palm Sunday. This is the last Sunday in Lent. Today concludes the time of repentance prior to the great and glorious day of our Lord's resurrection. From the triumphant entry found in Matthew 21 to the resurrection of Jesus on what we call Easter, a great deal transpires. Today's Gospel reading brings the life of Jesus, or brings us the life of Jesus, just prior to his prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane and his betrayal by Judas. Jesus comes in to Jerusalem riding on a donkey with crowds declaring, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. The crowds that are that are gathered on the streets of Jerusalem, are knowingly quoting Psalm 118. They are declaring the Son of David. They are declaring Jesus' kingship. As you know, you should always consider the Old Testament passage that is quoted in its entirety. And so let us hear just the remaining portion, that is, the end of Psalm 118, where it says this, God is Yahweh. And he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God. I will praise you. You are my God. I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks unto Yahweh, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Psalm 118 not only declares Jesus as king, but we see the king's gift of light will bring the sacrifice on the altar. This king of lights is Yahweh's provision for his eternal mercy. Jesus will go on to bring in this week a second cleansing of the temple to confront the chief priests and elders. He will speak prophetically that the kingdom of God would be taken from them and given to another. It's important to note that even here Jesus speaks of a way to repentance to the chief priests, and elders. Those to whom Jesus is speaking against their sinful practices, He still gives them a way to come to repentance. Jesus will preach and condemn them for their sin. Jesus tells them that they will see Him no more until He comes into His kingdom. Here God Himself declares that the temple will be filled with the leprosy of uncleanness a second time. And that the temple will be torn down, referencing the passage in Leviticus 14 
And what happens to a house which is twice found in the state of judgment? This is very interesting because it reminds us that when God comes around, that judgment comes. We see this in Genesis 3 in the garden. We see it in Genesis 11, Genesis 18, Genesis 19. And we could go all through the scriptures to see that when God comes, uncleanness, sinfulness raises up. It rises up. This leprosy that we see in the Bible that is talked about that separates you from God is not leprosy as we know it today, but it was some type of disease that would bubble up, turn your skin white, create an open wound. And yet, there were ways in God's mercy to be cleansed, to be restored, to be brought back into fellowship. But when we come into the presence of God, when we come to the Lord's table, if we come in that state and we haven't confessed our sins, the Spirit of God is present here with us, with God's people. And as we do this sacrament, He comes among us. His Word speaks to us. And if we're in Christ, there's forgiveness and mercy. And if we are living without Christ, if we're denying Christ, if we're in a state of unrepentance, God's judgment will come upon us. The Passover reminds us that we need to rid ourselves of the sinful continuity of our lives. And in this that we are brought to maturity. It says there in Matthew uh, chapter 26, beginning in verse 17, Now on the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat Passover? And they said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand, and I will keep Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was given to Israel in Exodus 12 as part of the Passover meal in expectation of their deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. For most of history, and this isn't just about the time of of, uh, the people of Israel in Egypt, but throughout most of history, how bread was made is you you would take the bread and you would have your dough and you would break off a piece and hold on to it for the next day, and then you go break your loaf. And when you went to mix your dough the next day, you'd take that piece that was left over, and you'd knead it in, and this would create a continuity of life. Your bread, your sustaining bread, would be connected day after day after day to the past. And when Jesus, or excuse me, when God goes into Egypt to deliver Israel out of the house of bondage, What does he do? He says, I want to break the continuity of your life. I want you to take the the leaven, this yeast that you have, and I want you to throw it away and start anew. By the way, if you're in in history, if if, if something happened, your, your kids got up and thought it'd be fun to have a food fight with the leftover lump, threw it out, or it fell on the ground and it wasn't usable, then you would have to take your dough, mix all the ingredients together, and go sit it and let it sit for days on end, waiting for the natural yeast in the air to show up and cause it to be able to rise. And so 
this whole continuity, what God was doing is he's establishing and saying all the things that, you've, that have supported you in the past, that you have trusted, that you have looked to, we're going to stop that right now. And we're going to change the continuity of your life. This is a new time in your life because God is rescuing you from the bondage of both Egypt and your sin. And so he says, cut it out. Cut it out. It, it is important for us to recognize that here, Jesus, at the time of, of where Jesus is in his life, preparing to lay down and start a new place, a new deliverance from sin, a new time of change from the old supports, from the old covenant, from the old sacrificial system, to the fulfillment of all these things in his death, in his resurrection. It's important for us to, to see that and say, you know, God's providence is very particular. God's plan is, is laid out. And so as, we, as, as you spend your time this week reading through the Bible with, for yourself, with your family, and you're considering the, the whole week of, of Christ's life, I want you to be mindful of this. God picked this particular time for it, not just because of the, the Passover meal and the sacrificial lamb that was going to cover over and bring deliverance, but also it's for the new creation. It's the time for us to start. And, and, and this, is, this is why the church calendar is what it is. We have the church calendar, and, and in it, we start focusing on, on Jesus' life during Advent. The prediction of His coming, his, his birth, all the things associated with that. And we study Christ's life all through this period, through Advent, through Christmas, through Lent. And then we go from there to the Easter season. And we'll follow Christ all the way up through his ascension and the day of Pentecost. And in that, we're studying Christ. Every year, we're, we're reminded, for us too, we can be brought into thinking, wait a minute, there's a change in Christ's work, and we can for ourselves say, this is a joyous thing. It's hard, it's difficult. There's suffering in what Jesus does for us. But at the same time, we can be reminded every year, our lives can be set on the fact that Jesus did come. He did lay down his life for us. He did deliver us from our sin. And we can find new life in him. We also see that in this passage that betrayal is both an overt act and an act of self-deception. We see that it says in verse 20, When evening had come, he sat down, with the twelve, now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each one of them began to say, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who has dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man had he not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi... It is I. Can you imagine that? Now, now Judas had already gone to the chief priests and he had, he had taken money to betray Jesus. He, the larceny was already in his heart. The, the intent was already in his heart. And he's sitting there at the table with Jesus and he says, is it I? That's pretty overt, isn't it? It's 
pretty direct. And Jesus said to him, you have said it. We can read in the Gospels and see clearly all through the Gospel that Judas is the betrayer. He is the one chosen by God to take money to lead the soldiers to arrest Jesus. We often look upon Jesus as the scandalous disciple. But the truth is, all the disciples are going to betray or flee from Jesus in some way in the coming night. Judas' actions stand out. They're loud. They're gaudy. We see it coming a mile away. Part of it is, if you read the Gospels, it talks about Judas the betrayer right in the beginning when they introduce him. Like, we know that's coming. Right? And we see that. And we bring comfort to ourselves because we say... Well, I'm not like Judas. I didn't betray him. But we see that all of his closest disciples, they're all going to be scattered. They're all going to doubt, deny. And even uh, turn against him. It is really important to not be deceived ourselves if you and i don't walk with a humble and repentant heart before the word of god we too will find ourselves from subtle denials to outrageous denials of god when we do not heed the word of god when we say that doesn't apply to me when we cut out parts of god's word and say well, that was for then and not for now, or that's for them over there and not for us. We are denying Christ. We, we justify ourselves by having small compromises to God's Word, but we're in fact forsaking and denying Jesus just as much as the most obvious of sinners. Now, in the midst of all this going on, <clears throat> Jesus gives us a memorial rite that brings God the Father. And it says this in verse 26. I'm sorry. Technological detail or difficulties. says this in verse 26 as they were eating jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said take eat this is my body then he took the cup and gave thanks to them and said drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins jesus as they are eating the passover meal takes bread and wine and institutes the memorial covenant of the new covenant when Jesus brings, or excuse me, when Jesus says, this is my blood of the new covenant, he ties this sacrament to the old covenant established in Exodus 24. We see in, in verse 6 of Exodus 24, it says this, And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. 
They said to him, All Yahweh has said we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. This is the blood of the covenant which Yahweh has made with you according to all these words. It's important to see that Jesus presents a meal before his disciples. In the same way, Yahweh presents a meal to the elders. So God, when he established Israel in Exodus, and he establishes the covenant, he brings forth the elders. Jesus, when he establishes this meal, brings forth his disciples, the future elders and leaders of the church. Here again from Exodus 24, where we hear this in verse 9. Then Moses went up, also Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, and 70, and 70 elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet as if it was a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But the nobles of the children of Israel did not lay hands. So they saw God, and listen to this, and they ate and drank. Jesus here, in his reference to the blood for the forgiveness of sins, not only references the old covenant sacrifices, but also the fulfillment of the promise of the new covenant that will deal with sin once and for all. When we partake of the Lord's table, God is here with us. He comes down to us in this sacrament for the sake of Jesus and sets his table before us. When God comes around men, their sins are exposed. If we're unrepentant, judgment comes to us. If we're not in Christ, our sins rise up like the leprosy of the old covenant. When God exposes us, people of God, this is important. When God exposes us, it is truly a means of grace so that we can be restored back into fellowship by the repentance of our sins. The memorial of the Lord's table reminds God of the covenant blessings that he has for us and also the attending, cur- excuse me, attending curses to the same promises of God. We need to consider the curses and judgment that is brought to all those who carry God's name in vain with an empty and blasphemous life. Praise be to God that there is forgiveness in Christ Jesus. If you're baptized, you carry the name of Christ. You carry the name of the living triune God upon you. Live accordingly and rejoice for God's faithfulness. In this rite, Jesus teaches us several other things. One is that that as we draw near to God and we come to the Lord's table, that we are knit together. We are knit together and we are unified through Him to our Father in heaven. But in this same way, we also see a maturity. The Christian life is not something of, I confess Christ, I'm baptized, that's it, that's all I have to do. You are to be growing in Christ. You are to be growing into maturity. Remember, Paul admonishes um, a, a particular church because they have fallen into just being babes. He can't teach them the deep things of God because all they can stand are the baby food, the milk. Right? There's this process that God has for us to grow and mature and become more wise and really to move from being a child to an adult. 
which is to, to move simply from being told everything what to do in extreme detail, like when you first teach your child anything, you've got to walk them through step by step. You do that over and over again. It's one thing when they're two. You want them to grow so that by the time they're eight, they're not, they're not getting the same instructions that they got when they're two. And you want to see them continue to grow where they take on those things themselves and they grow from being a child to an adult, which is like being <clears throat> a priest where the, God gives all these really detailed instructions to a place of kingship where you take dominion. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't give a child matches or a lighter and a knife, right? You wouldn't start with that. If they're, if they're two or three, for some kids, maybe even when they're seven or eight, right? But fire, which makes bread, and knife, which you need to cut, you need those things to make the bread. The other thing you wouldn't do is you wouldn't open up a bottle of wine and leave it and say to your kids, drink up, right? That would have all kinds of disastrous problems, right? Wine is a kingly gift. It's a kingly thing. So we're to grow from bread to wine. And in this, I want us to see that there's maturity. Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is the faithful son, unlike Israel. When Satan the accuser came into the garden and spoke to Eve, Adam failed to step between his bride and Satan. Israel also failed to stand against Satan as the priest to the nations. Jesus comes as the faithful bridegroom and is willing not only to stand between the accuser and his bride, but Jesus does this knowing full well that he will suffer and die for his bride. Jesus shows all of us that the way to maturity, the way of taking dominion, and that the way that God has designed us for kingship is to lay down your life for others. When we consider this, when we go to the table today and we break that bread, this reminds us that we are called to, be, to die for others. Jesus tells us that his body was broken for us. Jesus was beaten, whipped. His beard was torn out. A crown of thorns was pressed into his head. Nails were in his hands and feet. And finally, he got a spear in his side. And his, all of this breaking of his body brought his death. Jesus did this to take the wrath that we deserve for our sins. Jesus set this example for us so that when we eat this bread and we are united as one loaf, one body, right? That we are united with Christ and one another as one body. And we do all of this so that we can come to the next step, which is to take the kingly drink of wine. Again, as I've mentioned, that this causes us to think through what it means to grow and to be like Christ. The wine is Christ's blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Christ the King poured out His blood for us. Once we're united as that one loaf, we can take the wine... And now we are able to die for one another. Have you thought about your connectedness? I've talked about it before. You eat that one loaf, we're connected together. But what's the purpose of that wine in this right in terms of our community? It's for us to take that wine, drink that wine, and say to the person in the chair next to you, in Christ, I'm going to pour out my life. I'm going to die for you. How am I going to die and serve you this week? Or the person in the chair next to you. We can recognize 
that one, once we have come, repented of our sins, come together as the people of God, eaten the bread, and we have drunk the wine, that we are in turn broken and poured out for others. Here Romans 8.28, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. We are to be conformed to the image of Jesus, being broken and poured out, so that others may become the disciples of Christ. There's one final point I want us to come to realize and and recognize in today's passage. We see that at the very end, we see Jesus trusting in the sovereignty of his Father. And so what does he do? He goes out singing a hymn. We see at the end of the sacrament of the Lord's table, we see in verse 30, it says this, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus knows all that is ahead of him and ahead of his sheep. Jesus is trusting his father's faithfulness to raise him from the dead and to vindicate him as his son. So he leads his disciples in singing a hymn. This would have been a psalm. When we're discouraged and facing difficulty, we need to sing God's excuse me, promises and trust him. God's providence is at work in your life every day. Consider our call to worship today. If we read just the first few verses, we see this. Psalm 118, or excuse me, Psalm 31. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, His mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, His mercy endures forever. Let those who fear Yahweh now say, His mercy endures forever. I called on Yahweh in distress. Yahweh answered me and set me in a broad place. Yahweh is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let us pray. Our Father, we thank You for the covenant that was made and remade with Your saints of old and renewed to us in Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. We thank You that He is our next of kin, assumed the death penalty for us, destroyed the power of sin and death for His new humanity, and now sits at Your right hand as King over all creation. Make us mindful that You are the God who draws near, and that our only hope for forgiveness of our sins and salvation is found in Your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to repent when we sin and lay down our lives for others as Jesus has done for us. We ask all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen.